0: I am so honored and excited to introduce you to Rajiv Mahavir, who will be in conversation with DJ, DJ Reka. Um, and so, a little bit about them. DJ Rekha founded Basement Bangra, one of New York City's longest-running club nights, which lasted from 1997 to 2017, and has performed in festivals, clubs, and community spaces worldwide alongside artists such as M.I.A., Ali Seti, and A.R. Rahman. Their work has been featured on Broadway, NPR, Taste the Nation, Obama's White House, Celebrate Brooklyn, Central Park Summer Stage, South Asian Lodge at Sundance, DJ City, and more. They live in Jackson Heights, New York. Rajiv Mahabir is an Indo-Caribbean American author of three acclaimed poetry collections, The Taxidermist Cut, Coward's Son, Cutlish, and the forthcoming *Wales Aria, as well as a book of translation, I Even Regret Night, and his hybrid memoir, Antiman. He is winner of the 2015 Kundiman Prize, a 2015 Penheim Translation Fund Grant, Finalists for the 2017 and 2022 Lambda Literary Awards, finalists for the 2022 Penn Open Book Award, the 2021 National Book Critics Circle Award for Poetry, and long listed for the Penn Volcker Award in Poetry. Wow, so, so well accomplished. That was a mouthful. Um, Mohavir has received fellowships from Voices of Our Nation's Artist Foundation, Kundiman, The Home School, and the American Institute of Indian Studies Language Program. He received his MFA in Poetry and Translation from Queens College and his PhD in English from the University of Hawaii. Rajiv is currently a professor at Emerson College. Um, and so, I was introduced to Rajiv Text through an Asian American literature class that I took with Dr. Caroline Hong last spring, and since kind of discovering Rajiv and his work, um, my life has honestly changed. <laughs> reading, reading his memoir was, you know, quite cathartic. Um, I appreciate so much the visibility and the credence that Rajiv has given to our Indo Caribbean community. You know myself being the daughter of Guyanese immigrants and um, appreciate the moments that this book kind of sparked between me and my own family members you know like I remember I would read and I would see our language and I would run to my grandparents house so excited to show them like this, this language the Guyanese Creole in a book printed that I'm studying in school you know something that was kind of an impossible thought for them and so I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to hand over the floor and thank you guys.
1: Thank you so much, Marissa. Um, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit in a good way, in a really good way, which is um, the the text itself, the uh, the poetry uh, that or the songs that were uh, were written out. Um, so I read this book um, a couple of months ago, well, I don 't know, maybe six months ago, and usually I start a book, hardcover. And then I want to drag it around, and then I start reading it on my phone. This book I didn't put down. Um, it really resonated with me. It, it's it's um, exciting in the fact that it takes so many. It, it it's a memoir, but it's also very literary, and it has so many forms. There's poetry in there. There's uh, it's obviously memoir, but it's also rich with um, so many points of. Of transnationalism and diaspora and um, it's something that I your your personal experience in the book itself is something that I as a student at Queens College um, having so many Indo-Caribbean and West Indian friends felt kind of understood or experienced vicariously that sort of struggle between origin place Identity being you know a few generations removed and just looking at you know um, labor um, and and uh, you know uh, colonialism and empire um, but it it it's um it was a great read it was uh it was it was fascinating and then jackson heights i'm like why didn't i know you when you lived in jackson heights we we could have had a lot of fun together we could have but um um yeah so it's it's really extraordinary to me um and if you haven't read it you should read it and and even just using the title um and reclaiming it is is very powerful um I have five minutes to introduce you as a reader, so I don't know <laughs> if that's five minutes. That's my, me gushing over the book. Um, but I think, um, you know, as a hybrid memoir, you know, was that your intention in the beginning to, um, to do so many different forms, poetry, et cetera? Especially, I was really interested in the fact that you actually included transliterated texts from your grandmother. So, yeah.
2: Thank you. Um, well, thank you for that introduction, Rekha. That was <laughs>
1: so lovely. Um, and to be
2: here with you all today, like this is so exciting. And thank you to the organizers. Um, my uh, my my past professor uh, Caroline, who's one of the organizers here, is kind of amazing to be invited and to be in her presence as well as Sonia. Thank you so much for inviting me and all the care um, that you've done and shown me today. And it's just un- unbelievable. Uh, thank you, Anita, also um, for really you know believing in this work as well. Um, Andrea, to be here with you, what I'm like pinching myself. Oh, come on. And then, like for Marissa, your beautiful introduction. Yeah. I'm, I'm so lucky. Um, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, I didn't actually intend to write a memoir. Ah. You know, I uh, wrote a book of poems, and then my friend and mentor, Rigoberto Gonzalez,
1: uh, who used to teach at Queen's College. Um, All but, the teachers that I had are dead. I, I went that means I went there a long time ago. Not in a bad way. It just means I'm old. I'm sorry. We teachers are too. I didn't kill them. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Teachers beware. We didn't even I didn't even have a class call Asian American literature as an option. Yeah. Yeah, that's real.
2: Um, but yeah, he was like, uh, you're, I, I was living in Hawaii when the first book was accepted, um, and he was like, uh, in order to be seen in the, on the continental United States, you have to write essays. And I was like, oh, man, what? I like, did an MFA in poetry. Like, prose, don't make me do this. Um, you know, that's not academic prose. And then you know, prose before prose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> before, prose before pose, as in poetry. Oh. Ah. See, they pay me for this. Um, and so a friend of mine who you know, devoted her life to nonfiction was like, You know, Rajiv, pull, them all, pull all these essays together, put them together, what do you have? Um, I'm like, A whole bunch of shit. Um, and she was like, No, no, look at it. Is there a narrative through way? And I was like, Actually, it all kind of coalesces um, you know, in these, like, or coheres around these 10 years of my life. Where I lived in central Florida, moved to New York City, and also lived in Varanasi in India. Um, and in this time I was also uh, learning Hindi language, Bhojpuri language, and my grandmother's songs, as well as being outed to my extended family as gay. Oof. And so of course that's kind of what like, I will be obsessed with, right? These are my life themes. Um, the adding, adding the parts of transliteration was the way that I felt that I could really bring my Aji's, my grandmother's uh, voice, into shaping this book, which I, you know, then did shape from all of those essays in a way that felt honest, in that reading them still, I feel as though she's still instructing me, she's still teaching me, and how better to do that than to use her actual words, you know? Um, and... Uh, It's funny, you know, as something that Marissa said uh, uh, about, oh my God, this is Guyanese language? Like, in a book? Who's going to read that? My grandmother was unlettered in all of her languages. My grandmother spoke Guyanese Creole, and she spoke Guyanese Pochkori. People with varying degrees could understand her, um, in the United States uh, mostly not in the south uh, in Florida where when in Florida I grew up in Florida um, but in Toronto it's a different story in New York City it's a different story uh, and she would be floored to think that anybody at a university would even be re- remotely interested in anything that she would have to say because she called it madness right why study this stupidness this madness you know, this is English country. Learn what they want you to learn. So in kind of homage to her. Um, and like profound, sincere, and uh, collaboration, I suppose.
1: No, and it's beautiful. Your relationship with your grandmother is is amazing. And, it. you know, I, I had a very deep relationship with my grandmother as well. We shared a room. And she also, um, you know, wasn't, you know, Literate in reading and writing But she made her way in the world And um, um, The first time I heard Bhojpuri, The connection I was like Oh wait a minute huh This kind of sounds like And it was uh, I, Somebody gave me a Babla Kunchan record My friend Pray me um, And um, And it was the song Ebony, Which I put on the playlist by the way Because oh, okay. I love that song And um, I think it's important to I I think it's very instructive for those who are uh, Hindi speakers, who are more recently descendant or who have managed to keep some sort of current uh, semblance of the language or those who um, consume the language via Bollywood or other popular culture, that they see these connections. And I think putting the language in there not only, you know, um, honors your grandmother, but it it makes it, it... you're creating an archive. You're creating a text that's very important. That um, that may is maybe not not enough of it there. So hopefully it's a starting point for other people. Uh, you hear that, Marissa? You gotta run with this. Um, no, I think that's that's really important. Um, and you know, as I opened, I think um, the touch points of Florida, New York, Toronto, Vernaci a very interesting place that I also went to. Uh, was the first time I went unaccompanied in India anywhere. And um, I don't know how I was convinced because the level of patriarchy in the family is very intense. Like you go down the street and then cousins swarm you. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, what was that like um, to, to sort of draw from all these cities? and And in terms of your identity... Um, you know how did you feel different in each city
2: Um. Uh, yeah I mean each of these cities had left it's like uh, imprint on me in meaningful ways uh, of either being included or excluded Um, and in each of these cities I was both included and excluded Mm -hmm. in all of these various ways Uh, one of the most remarkable things about being in some place like Varanasi is Hearing that people in that region of India speak Bhojpuri, they mm-hmm. eat foods that are similar to Guyanese food that I grew up eating, um, uh, and knowing that this was a way that I belonged to the inside, also became this wonky mirror that I could like think through my own history. Uh, what then happens in creolization, right? For for me and my family. Uh, you know, we can we can go to uh, Liberty Avenue and we can see a kind of uh, living new culture that has emerged from, uh, you know, these various threads of the old. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really interested in thinking about, like, oh, this is a remnant of Indian culture, but mm-hmm. rather this is, like, who we are at the moment kind of moving forward. New York City taught me that. You know, New York City taught me that. When I was living in Florida, I was pretty alienated from a lot of uh, my um, my community just because my parents we were very uh, sheltered and insular. Uh, My parents didn't have very many friends in Orlando. Um, You know, we had some family that lived around, and so those were the people that we... Mickey
1: and Minnie and yeah, exactly.
2: Well, yeah, and like that's what I learned how to be to look at myself as though from the outside and like, okay, what is this thing? You know, Toronto was kind of a respite from that growing up. We would go every year, drive to either Toronto and New York City because we, we still have lots of family um, in these places, uh, my Aji living in Toronto. Um, it offered a respite because I was able to kind of see how I was Guyanese and West Indian and how I was not
3: mm-hmm.
2: also. So I think that uh, there's so much about that feeling that is incredibly queer to me. You know? Discuss, yeah. (laughs) Like being able to like slip in and out, um, in uh, you know social circles, and also being able to have like ways to talk to people. Um, You know, it's 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 a kind of code switching, Mm -hmm. um, but also a way of being included and excluded. Mm -hmm. You know, and I saw my grandmother do that. My auntie was very much. Having She had this very much this queer kind of uh, relationship to her own family um, as somebody living in North America who wasn 't literate in um, ways of getting around and doing things for herself uh, you know at family functions she wasn 't able to keep up with jokes that were in English and um, so she very much was on the side, as was I learning about all of these things that she wanted to talk about and who we were and seeing how we all interacted with one another.
1: No, that, that's really powerful. That's really powerful. And, and to, to give it a... I mean, I, I see the world in, with queer glasses, but uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's, um, that's very resonant. Um, and uh, I, I think also, like, as, you know, um, first time I went to Liberty Avenue and understood and went to the shops and said, oh, it's very interesting how... I, uh, and, I, and I did it with Mother Lika, uh, uh, who was here earlier. Um, I just remember when I was at Queen's College, Mother Lika and I would go to Liberty Avenue and we'd see, like, especially like um, prayer supplies, like certain kinds of things that are used in Hindu rituals and how sometimes procuring those were always a challenge and how the West Indian... Uh, community had this from jump way way ahead and so how it was it was kind of like almost upsetting to me how separate it was and how um, uh, yeah and, and you know also uh, growing up and going to West Indian clubs and and also hearing some of this music um, uh, there was another thing I was going to say oh yeah recently I, I, I went to was invited to a musician's house Um, Rajiv um, uh, Prashad And um, Grew up Very devout uh, South Queens family Religious So Like many traditions Music learning happens Through religion So since he was three Forced to learn Bhajans Forced to learn Hindi Forced to learn Music and everything And I was talking to him about Bojpuri I was talking about your book And I said something And I was like Yeah you know like Babla Kanchan And He's like, are you Guyanese? And I was like, oh, wow, I can pass? No. Um, um, but, but I think, like, there's, there's so much, like, that needs to be bridged here still in a wider understanding. Um, okay, so keeping on schedule, let's hear you reading uh, a passage. Uh, okay. Could you read something for us? Yeah, thank for you. For about ten minutes. Um,
2: I'm going to read uh, two sections, uh, or parts, I guess, uh, for you this afternoon, early evening. Afternoon? Afternoon. Yeah, why rush the day? Um, and the, uh, the first part I'm going to read is from the chapter called Sangam, or Confluence. Um, Basically, I, uh, as a young person Have moved to New York City After I've been outed to my family kind of thing And uh, this is when I uh, met somebody Who would be um, a lover on and off for several years Living in Queens My love for Bollywood reawakened And I remembered how much the color and dance enticed me At eight, I'd been bewitched I sat with Aji in her Scarborough tenement, eating pulauri and drinking Kool-Aid. On her TV, a bootleg VHS copy of the 1964 film Sungum hummed. Aji told me that Sungum was a confluence not of two, but of three rivers, the Ganga, the Jamuna, and the mythological Saraswati River, which dried up, or perhaps never flowed. Um, but is the crossover from the universe that guides our decisions, where stories live and breathe. This merging of the three dark bodies of water is sometimes translated as confluence, where waters mix. In the film Sangam, Raj Kapoor, Vijayantimala, and Rajendra Kumar play out what would become in my mind an archetypal love story, one, one of the ways that brown people like me are supposed to lap one another with their waters into a confluence. More than this, I would realize later the undertow pulled the film's threads I would, I, more than this, I would realize later the undertow pulled the film's threads of homoeroticism out into the open ocean, something that would happen to me as well. Aji interpreted the Hindi in the film, giving me the gist in Guyanese Creole. This was the first Hindi movie i'd seen, and her translations were not exact. What haunted me about this film was that Sundar and Gopal. Both men seemed as though they wanted their brown bodies to meet, though Radha was the object to be desired. At eight years old I could not I could not I could see but not yet fully understand how this love could work or what it could actually be. This say he go sit Radha Pani pan Plain, Aji Aji said, of the quarrel between Sundar, played by Raj Kapoor, and Gopal, played by Rajendra Kumar who attempts to seal Radha, Vijayantimala, on his plane. These two men love the same woman. Sundar grows up to be a, become a pilot for the Indian Air Force, and Gopal, after returning to India from studying in London, stays behind as Sundar goes to Kashmir on a dubious mission. Aji explained, When Gopal and Radha hear that Sundar's plane was shot down, and that he is MIA, they allow their love for each other to bloom. But Sundar lives and, re- and returns to demand Radha's hand, who acquiesces. Eventually, Sundar finds a letter from Gopal to Radha and is so vexed, he vows to kill Gopal. Eventually, Gopal shoots and kills himself with Sundar's gun so that nothing will, become bet- nothing will come between Sundar and Radha's love. With eyes wide as a tuna, as I sat on Aji's velvet couch. Akiya bandkar, shachya ai beta, Aji laughed. I don't want to close my eyes, I said, as I drank in all the Hindi and Creole. Radha bathes in a river, hides her clothes on the bank. She knows what Sundar is up to. A pervy Sundar, having climbed a tree with his bagpipe to sing the movie's title song, finds her clothes and thieves them with fishing rod. I will give you your clothes back when you answer my question, says Sundar. What do you want, Radha replies, eyes besmeared in ganga and coal. Just pretend for a moment that I am not Sundar, that I am Gopal, and Gopal wants to ask you something. Sundar
3: sings,
2: My heart's Ganga,
3: and yours the Jamuna.
2: Tell me, Radha, will the Sangam happen or not? Jackson Heights was, was bright with South Asia. Along Kalpana Chavala Way, also known as 74th Street, Pakistani and Bangladeshi stores and stalls line the streets. Bright red and yellow silks on people and in window shops, the smell of frying samosa, the metered rhythms of the dole beating out Bhangra beats, and a swirl of brown faces made up Jackson Heights. I was perfectly comfortable in my brown skin in this South Asian enclave. My American Guyanese-ness made more sense in Richmond Hill, the little Guyana of Queens where I still had family. My father had told me that I was pretending to be Indian rather than Indo-Caribbean, that people from India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka or Nepal didn't understand me as similar to themselves. But I was not convinced. Yes, I was not Indian, but neither were the Pakistanis or Bangladeshis, nor the Nepalis, nor the Sri Lankans. My living in Jackson Heights added another dimension of, South, of the South Asian contingent of the area. All my life I had been told by my family that Guyanese are different. We're not like the Indian man. We were coolie, great-grandchildren of indentured laborers for whom India was only a myth. But I felt a kinship with other South Asians. I spoke English, I learned Hindi, and loved Bollywood. All of these things peppered my life like Aji's pepper sauce, adding flavor and the burn to learn as much as I could. I moved to Queens, rather to Jackson Heights. Uh, I, I moved to Queens, excuse me, rather than Manhattan, Brooklyn, or the Bronx, because of a visit to Jake, a cousin of mine, in Richmond Hill when I was 18. And in that trip, we took a trip to Jackson Heights to eat at, the, at a famous Indian restaurant. I saw a billboard with the Bollywood film star Shahrukh Khan on the corner of Broadway and Roosevelt Avenue, and decided, yes, this is where I wanted to be in a brown community where grocery shopping would be easier where I wouldn't be profiled as often by neighbors. But now, these days of closeness with, with Jake were over. Though I lived in the same borough, our friendship could not be mended. In fact, since moving to New York, I had neither seen nor heard from any of my father's family, despite reaching out to them when I arrived. Soon after, I moved to my studio on 37th Avenue and 80th Street. Wow, I am really like give out addresses, don't I? Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you don't live
2: there no yeah it's true oh, it's, it, the building is so cute it's still there And there are like lions outside oh. every time I come to Queens I like I go and I pay my respects I got a call from Farida my friend from the Youth Solidarity Summer you're living in Jackson Heights wow you win Daisy of the Year award she teased. <laughs> We made plans to meet for on 73rd Street along with her cousin, whom I had met at the YSS party. I remembered him as a cherub with a round face and pink lips, who was learning leftist politics by hanging out with his cousin's friends. We had protested together, chanting our throats raw, the people united will never be defeated, in front of that same restaurant. It had since closed and reopened, rebranded with new owners. Rajiv, Farida shouted across the room as I entered the restaurant she got up from the booth and gave me a hug her cousin watched us from his seat with wide eyes and a faint smile it's so good to see you Farida, I said as we embraced I bumped the table and water from the copper tumbler spilled, her her cousin jumping to avoid it you remember Yusuf, Farida said as I moved to wipe the mess with a napkin Seth, he said correcting his cousin he grabbed a napkin from the neighboring table and wiped up the water with me his hands brushed mine. Hey, Seth, good to see you again. Straightening up, I looked in his eyes, and I saw what, what looked like a man. This surprised me. When I had met him before, his hair was messy, his face round. Now Seth had a jawline and stubble. He smelled of atar al-haram and musk. I could feel my stomach churn as my attraction to this man pulsed through me. He was muscular yet still soft, his voice deep and kind. His broad shoulders would intimidate if not for his gentle eyes and lips as pink as cotton candy.
3: We ate pondicherry, rava masala, and butter
2: dosas and laughed about having to finish college and how I would never leave school now that I was getting a master's degree in teaching. I watched Seth's lips as he ate two pink clouds I wanted to jump into. Farida worked as, a, as the leader of her college's South Asians for Justice organization, queering the Desi population with her radical, radical politics. It's funny how the belief that everyone should be equal is radical, she mused into her Salty Lassi. I mean, just because I'm a Muslim queer and I believe that I should be safe? How the fuck does that make me radical? I nodded. It's so true. At least I can do something in the world to make it easier for others. Farida finished her stainless steel cup of water. "'I sometimes think that teaching is, an, is the easy way out. Like, it's not really activist work,' I replied. "'Actually, you're at ground zero. I mean, ESL? You're helping people navigate the system from the STEM.' Farida ra- Farida's raised eyebrows arched into bows. "'I've never thought of it that way.' "'How do you like living in Jackson Heights?' i asked. "'It's great, though I feel like I don't really belong. I'm coolie, not really, they Being Indo-Guyanese is different. I looked at the table. Even dosas are different for Guyanese. They are floppy and sweet, not crispy like chips. I know what you mean. We are Pakistani. But there was no India and Pakistan until 1947. And before that, we lived in what is now India, Seft said. Borders are bullshit. We all laughed in agreement. Farida left having to catch a bus back to Baltimore. I'm totally free, Rajiv. If you still want to hang out, Seth said, eyebrows raised. He was tall and beautiful. I wanted to keep smelling him. I wanted to keep smelling him in my house. Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this little bit. And um, like I said, I like to um, invoke my aji every time I I talk about this book because she is so much of this book and inside. Uh, my own voice I mean I like to think like you know I've like an, inherited my, uh, my ancestors like bone structure and teeth and tongue and throat that maybe their voices sounded like mine possibly I only knew my Aji when she was you know older so her her voice was the voice of an older woman um, and not the young thing that I am today uh, <laughs> but this is one I'll read, I'll read I'll sing I'll sing part of her song um, and then i'll read a transcription of how she translated it
3: ulatan sulatan hove dono bhai ho ulatan sulatan tare hu phajire se khara kara bhai le duphariya Kolo bahini bacha raakhe ho To hare do la ra bahano ya janghiya par sowe ho Ke kolo bhaiya bacha raakhe Leo bahini leo mori sirke Kolo bahi ni bacha rakehu. Pajire se kara kara bhaile dupa ria. Kolo bahi ni bacha rakehu. He said, How we must open the door? My foot cut me hindi. How me go open the door? he buddy tell him, say, open my door, for man and me stand up, your bauji send pahu or some tower for you. Hope the door and take come. You know, long time India people have been a too much kind
2: people. So he say, he send some rice for you, Me can't get up from, from and open the door, my husband sleep on my lap, take my head and put them on your husband's head and open the door, I can't open the door. How am I going open the door? How me can put your he head on that thing? Me bow go send complaint and tell me that oh, you been law your brother like your husband. Everything your brother say you do, huh? so me naan go do that. He go send or a hun. He go insult me. Um, and I'll stop there. Thank you.
1: It was amazing to hear you sing. That was great. That was really great. Um, so... <clears throat> If it wasn't eighty seven degrees I was gonna wear my limited edition Kith Queen's College sweatshirt <laughs> but it's too hot for that. Um but you know, I, I wanna hear about Queens College. Like when I was there there was a table on the second floor where all um the brown kids sat and over time it you know, you you stayed there, and then you left and you know, then people who wanted to be South Asian adjacent also sat there, um, <laughs> um, and uh, but but it was a real unifying table because on the second floor, when I was there, that was you could talk. It was like group study, so of course you know brown people can't keep quiet. So, um, what was your experience like at at Queens? Were you there just for evening masters classes, or were you there during the day as well, or?
2: So, yeah, I did my MFA there, um, which, uh, you know, the, it was designed so that we could have jobs outside of mm-hmm. uh, academia oh, yeah. um, and travel in. So I was teaching public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, you know, in Bushwick for two years, uh, teaching grade one and grade two. Uh-huh. And when I started, I know, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and when I started at Queens, I was teaching grade five in Corona. Oh, okay. Yeah, And so, um, PS 92. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh I was living in Jackson Heights, and so it was easy to get on the train and the bus. So, And it would be the evenings. No one said no
1: one to get to Queens College. It was easy to get to. Sorry. No, but it say. was great
2: because, like, I couldn't get home in time after class to get a slice, uh, you know, still, because, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, there, there was that 24-hour um, restaurant on the corner of uh, 74th and Roosevelt that had, like, chicken samosas. Yeah. Um, always open.
1: Uh, Merit kebab. So, I mean, they keep changing the names, yeah. but yeah. Yeah,
2: I don't remember what it was. But, but anyway, so yeah, Queens College was great for me. Uh, you know, when I was doing the MFA there, the program was relatively new, mm-hmm. uh, maybe like six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And so all of the teachers that I had were incredibly devoted, mm-hmm. uh, including Caroline. Um, and it was the first Asian American Studies class or Asian American Lit class that I'd ever taken um, or that I'd ever, ever really thought about. Um, and, you know, I was like, okay, well, how much can I participate in this idea of you know, what Asian American is? like? It, does that locate me as a person? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in Caroline's class that uh, she let me do this project on um, this anthology of South Asian American poetry called Indivisible. Mm-hmm. And in that collection, there was an Indo-Caribbean poet by, by the name of Sasha Parmasad. And when I read her poem, and it was like, I'm the granddaughter of a cane cutter, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, can I, I wanna do this. And Caroline was very, very encouraging. Um, And so I did that. And uh, as I was writing my my thesis uh, for Queens College, I was really obsessed and obsessive about language and chutney music that I developed a form of poem called the chutney poem that uses the same kind of structure that Sundar Popo uses in Kaisebani Mm -hmm. uh, as a kind of like poetic
1: form. Because... Kind of a call and repeat. Yes. Some elements of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the the chorus had to be in Hindustani, whatever that is. Um, And then I had to use Creole and English in the lyrics. And it had to mimic uh, the the, the syllabic structure so that once upon a time, I could sing all of those chutney songs. Um, and I think that's kind of where the the, the memoir ends. Uh, and oh yeah, I wanted to tell this story about Queen's College and why I love it. So um, as you heard, I, I went to Voices of Our Nations Artists Foundation, um, and I did this uh, workshop with you know these like famous poets and everything. And this was before I even began at Queen's College. And I was told all the all the time, oh you know you're a person of color, you're going to be safe in this place. Um, no one is going to question anything. You're going to be fine. And you know as a young writer, you're like, oh, am I writing Is my writing too ethnic? Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, and, but I was at least worried about that at the time. And so, uh, you know, I remember being in that place and then having people be like, take out, take out these Hindi words. Mm. You know, Why are you saying Nana? Just say grandfather. And so I was like, but aren't you my people? Like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and so I was like very apprehensive about starting at Queens College in my workshops at Queen's College do you know Sunu? Sunu Chandi? Yes. Sunu Chandi just had a book come out called um, uh, My Dear Comrades. It's an amazing collection of poems. Um, Buy it. Um, If you're going to buy one book today buy that book not mine. (laughs) Buy buy, buy his book too. His book is here. Um, But meaning to say that Sunu was there in the workshop with me and we were both students and um, as we were sitting there a student had mentioned, oh, you know, this is a little confusing. Don't say this word. Like, why don't you just call him your uncle and not your cha-cha or whatever it is. Um, I don't remember what the exact situation was, uh, but he essentially was like, you need to take out the place names, <laughs> take out the, like, the, the how people are called kind of thing. Um, and Sunu was sitting right there in the workshop, and she was like, that's a Terrible idea. That's like <laughs> the worst
1: idea I've ever heard. <laughs> I can see her saying that. <laughs> yeah. Sunu Chandy um, was my only roommate I've ever had. Really? Oh, so, yeah. Wow. We can discuss Dude. It <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: uh, and then, like, after that, everyone started speaking up, but nobody was more decisive and uh, uh, clear than the actual workshop teacher, Nicole Cooley. Who was like, that is the worst idea ever. <laughs> in fact, Rajiv, lean into it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wait a minute, hold on. You're telling me at Voices of Our Nations Artists Foundation, even the teacher was like, get rid of this. Whereas like now at Queens College in the MFA program that I had been warned against, mm-hmm. and you know, it's gonna be it's gonna feel weird, like you're not gonna be accepted, kind of thing. Was like embrace it. You live in Queens, man.
1: It's amazing. Did you interact with other students outside the program, or because you were a night student, you just came and did your classes and? Um. Yeah, my
2: interactions with other students were people who were going into public school teaching uh-huh. as well. Because okay. like the English department, English department, no, ed department's there. huge there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and no, quite renowned for education, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so it was cool to kind of like straddle that that uh-huh. border. But actually, you know, when it came to like uh, uh, other departments, like I've never taken a history class at Queens College.
1: Well, there were a lot, there's a huge, I mean, I guess it's mostly undergraduate, um, but even with um, the way, at least when I went there, a lot of the undergraduate courses were paired with graduate courses, it's just that um, for some departments, the graduate classes, the students had different requirements, and uh, there's a huge thriving club culture there, and um, India club, this club, that club, and... Um, that was one of the few places that you know, it was was very political, and now there's, it's proliferated even more, um, and um, yeah. So there, that that was a site of like, for us parties, and then we try to do parties during the day so it could be more accessible. But um, I guess the experience at at, at at in a master's only program would be a little bit different. But um, no, that that's that's good. I mean. Um, um yeah, fond memories, best nine undergraduate years of my life. Um so um and I think that's where I met a lot of other South Asians of, of you know, all all like the whole the whole diaspora was there. Um um in, in in many ways. So now that um the book has been out for a while, um, you know, um, and you've you know done a lot of readings and stuff. Um, is there anything that surprised you about the reception or the feedback um, since since it's come out? Well, yeah, totally.
2: Um, I am so
1: surprised that people
2: actually read this book. Like, it actually like I know that sounds like weird, but I'm used to writing poetry. Nobody reads poems. I mean, I hate to say that because I love poetry. Um, but like, the sales of poetry books are very, it's very modest. Uh, when it comes to the memoir, I was like, people I didn't imagine would be reading this book. Joy Harjo read my memoir. Oh. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, how? She's I, a poet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you
3: wrote about her in your book. Uh, yeah, I did.
2: Well, and that was why she reached out to me. Mm-hmm. She's like, Rajiv, I read your. Well, I can't believe I'm telling this story. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to name drop. That's not the, it's the point. Okay. But,
1: this is a safe space.
3: <laughs>
2: Uh, but she 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 wrote to me. Uh, she's like Rajiv, I read your mention of my work in your in your in your memoir. She's like this is really special to me. She's she she said I often feel I often feel like I'm on the outside of the American literary tradition because because I don't write about Greek mythology. I don't have the right schooling. I come from oral traditions too. I'm getting chills just, like, remembering this. Wow. And I was that's like, so you've got to be fucking kidding me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I just heard her on NPR recently and her path and her journey and how she came to this late and her whole relationship to um, uh, her native upbringing. And she went to those, it was basically a larger story about the schools and um, the, uh, the abuse that a lot of folks who went to those schools lived. And that's amazing. That's fantastic.
2: But there's no. also there's also like been like a human cost to it too. Okay. I mean, that sounds like really dramatic. Uh, but it is, I guess. Don't stop know. now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> a drama is like my life. But like the fact of um you know uh for my for so two major things. Um I had I had one cousin on my dad's side mm-hmm. that you know is in the book and she's like she was like a dear friend as well as cousin after the publication of the book we've kind of no longer have a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, which has been like kind of heartbreaking. Um, and then, I think a month ago, I started talking to my dad, and it had been twelve, thirteen years.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. So that just happened.
1: And and was that because of <laughs> indirectly? <laughs> you can't you can't just so, leave us hanging. Guys.
2: Yeah. So my dad comes from this place in Guyana called Crabwood Creek and it's like kind of like the road end in Burbese. Um pretty rural, very Indian town when he was growing up. I'm right now I'm not sure. It's things are like things are different. Um but someone from Crabwood Creek had reached out to him and said, I read your son's book.
3: Oh.
2: He must really hate you. Oh. <laughs> and so I was like I was like I I called my sister, and I was like, you know, somebody said this, and and she's like, well, you know, I was like, I thought I was really generous and forgiving. (laughs) You know? I thought so. I thought I was, like, embodying this, like, magnanimous thing without without doing the thing that we are taught to do, that I have been taught and, like, bred to do, which is to not stare the demon in, in the face, to keep those closet doors shut, and to not talk about what it means to have these traumas living and haunting us still and so when I talked to my dad it wasn't about the book but it was because of the book yeah and so I think he there was some part of him that realized that it was like a magnanimous gesture on my part
1: you reached out to him
2: Uh, He reached out to me through my sister. Mm -hmm. But I reached back, which was like a thing that, like, (laughs) (laughs) what Rajiv is that? That's the next (laughs) (laughs) memoir.
1: Yeah. Oh, are you going to write a second memoir? Yes. (laughs) Aren't
2: you? Oh, yeah. I'm
1: living it right now, though, so. (laughs) (laughs) So this could inform... Some pages, <laughs> depending, on how this, depending on how this goes. Um, so I think at this time we're going to take some questions from the audience over there.
3: Marathi.
2: Um, there are definitely more heritages in my family: um, Bengali and uh, Tamilian. Um, as well as Bhochpuri uh, speaking Adhi as well, just like another like language that I guess I come from but um, yeah, A- Aji, Aja those are uh, also used in Bhochpuri I- and that's something I didn't know actually uh, growing up I was like, oh it's Hindi, it's Hindi, it's Hindi until like my Hindi speaking friends were like is that, like I was like, oh yeah my Aji and she's like, oh, my friend was like, oh is that her name, you call your grandmother by her name <laughs>
3: We're different, but we're not that different, man. (laughs) Come on.
2: (laughs) But yeah, no, it's in Bocchipuri. It's totally wild that Marathi, you know, it's funny, and that's something that I learned after this book. Mm -hmm. Marathi speakers would be like, oh, by the way, did you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think that's interesting. Those of us, you know, we don't know. Sometimes if if we are, you know, between many languages, we don't know if it's our family that says it, our region, our, you know, where does it, come from or or not or if they're multiple languages if parents speak different languages it, we don't always know that um there was another question on this table oh. was it oh, yes I ask how
3: language like,
0: like, like have, have people been like so English, you know all that stuff like, I'm just- this
2: is like this is a great question um it was chaotic uh i'll tell you it was so important for me to have these languages in this book, it had to. If it didn't, then it wouldn't be this book. And like, it would be anti my politics. Um, I was told by agents that they couldn't sell this book, there's no room for this kind of voice in American literature, repeatedly. Um, And even by, you know, Asian American agents, which is like its own particular kind of heartbreak, but I get it, I mean, every Asian American writer will go to an Asian American um, agent first, right? Or maybe that's just like my thing. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, you know about me, you can tell this book, yes, okay. But it's not, it's not, it's not the case. And so, um, I was really lucky that the press, Restless Books, believed in the vision of it. Um, and it was like a press started by immigrants for immigrant stories. Um, and they do mostly books in translation. So it was kind of like, uh, my grandmother had, you know, from heaven or hell or wherever. <laughs> had you know heaven, sent, heaven. Heaven.
3: come
2: on. <laughs> had sent me the
3: oh, no, yeah, no. No. Yeah.
2: had sent me the vibes of the restless book, right? And this book is restless too, which was also like the magic. So I wonder I wonder, yeah, I mean stick to stick to your, your belief. Um, and I think it's like a political decision and people are gonna tell you not to do it, but sometimes you have to stand up for your art. You know, stand up for the, the young language learner in you, who is being told by everyone that what you're doing is wrong. Yes. Yeah, totally. This is like I love this question. Only in New York, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow, it's so true. Trinidadians are so different. <laughs> And I, I can say that in jest because it, I guess it is something that we always say in jest, you know, oh, so-and-so is a Trinidadian, so-and-so is um, uh I, moving to the city, moving to New York, was exposed to more Trinidadian culture. It seemed, as compared to my own home culture, to be a lot more laid back in terms of strictness and, mostly what, I'm sorry? Yeah, way more syncretic, not as insular, not as like, we are Indian. You know, my, my mom's family are very big on the fact that, you know, they're Nepalian in their belief that like, oh, we are from India. Like, you know, my, your grandfather was from, or my mom's grandfather was from India, as though the Caribbean is only part of the migration story and not actually identity formative, or formi- formative of his identity. And I mean, you'll see that in the older generations in Trinidad for sure, because Nepal was from Trinidad. But it's not so like that. A lot of the the, the conversation around creolization and syncretism is happening in Indo Caribbean space by folks living in the Caribbean. Patricia Muhammad is the person who comes to my mind. Um, you know, she has this book called uh, that she co-edited called "Questioning Creoles," and she talks about like how um, access to kind of like creole culture. And when I say creole culture, Trinidad, I mean uh, culture that is Afro Caribbean as well as white Caribbean contact, um, kind of offered a path of liberation outside of this kind of Hindu patriarchy that was dominant in the the community. I don't think Guyana really had that moment because of the, the, the racial separatism that has happened. So I find that like, I have a, you know, it's funny because it was in New York as well. I have this line in the memoir about like, my curly hair giving my father's family anxiety. <laughs> and what I was gesturing at was the fact like, in my family, if, I were to, if someone were to say, oh, you know, maybe you're mixed, maybe you have some black in you, that would automatically make you unworthy, or like dirty, or not good enough, um, whereas I don't, Maybe it's like that in Trini- with Chinese folks behind closed doors. I've never really been in a... Si- well, I've been in closed-door situations in <laughs> Trinidads. But what I mean to say is that, like, not, <laughs> not that kind of, like, parental space. In that, like, I, I, I don't know what the expectation is. But
1: I mean, if we look at I the... Mean, the labels. Do you think the fact that you, the, the geography of Guyana being in South America uh-huh. versus Trinidad and, you know, actually being an island in proximity to... Uh, other spaces too. How that informs it, and is that a form of certain kind of isolation that happened, where you know you find the religiosity amongst Hindus, uh, or Hindu descent people from Guyana, really like so strict, mm. so like exactly, like you know.
2: Yeah, that's true. I, you know, regularly Jamaican Jamaican writers are the ones who are always like, so is Guyana really in the Caribbean?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I,
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jamaican cultural hegemony. That's the thing. Um, but, but like to say that, yeah, like I, yeah, there's this kind of difference, right? You know, the South America and Suriname is also in South America, mm-hmm. but like, are they counted as Indo Caribbean? Well, yes and no, and yes and no. Oh, but they speak Dutch and Taki, It's not quite the
1: same. They're my brethren. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to an earlier point. Borders are bullshit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I think that's time. Sorry, we could do this for hours. So I will pass it on to Linda.
0: So a round of applause before we transition, please.